Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. You heard Matt say that if you have any questions about Project Sightline, you can direct those to any of the elders or staff. I want to tell you, if you have any detailed questions about Project Sightline, do not direct them to me. You can direct those to Matt or Rex or others that look like they might know some of those details. But one of the things I love about being part of this team and part of this church and serving here as your preaching minister is we have so many capable people who can handle the church business and those kind of details. That sets me free to focus on what I'm about to do with you for the next several minutes. And that is a blessing to me. It allows me to use my gifts and talents in a way that gives me life and joy. And I I trust it's also a blessing for you as well. So we're in John 11 today. This is Jesus's most dramatic sign in the Gospel of John. It's also the last miraculous sign Jesus does in John before he dies. And it takes John just a few verses to describe it. So let's read what happens in chapter 11, beginning in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now this verse, I actually prefer the rendering of the King James Version. Lord, by this time he stinketh, she says. He stinketh. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of all the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out, in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out! And the dead man, the dead man, came out, his hands and feet wrapped strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If you keep reading to the end of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, you will see that this sign fortifies the resolve of the religious leaders in Jerusalem 
who decide they absolutely must get rid of Jesus now. Because understandably, all the crowds are flocking to him. They even go so far as to determine they need to get rid of Lazarus as well. Because he now is testimony to Jesus' dangerous, threatening power. But none of that is what really interests me today. What most interests me today is actually what happens before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's the build-up to this dramatic sign raises, you see what I did there, raises all sorts of interesting and challenging questions. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus is with his disciples on the other side of the Jordan River. And in verse 1, he receives news from Martha and Mary, who live in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. That's about a day's walk from where Jesus and his disciples are. Receives news that Lazarus, their brother, whom Jesus loves, is ill. And when he hears this news, Jesus says in verse 4, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. <laughs> so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When he hears the news that his friend is sick, rather than rushing back to Bethany to heal him or healing him from afar, which he did for an official son in John 4, Jesus waits two more days before going to Bethany. And by that time, Lazarus is dead. Did Jesus allow one of his friends to die so he could demonstrate his power by raising him from the dead? If so, you can see why not everyone wanted to be Jesus' friend. But I, I don't think that's what's going on here, if you do the math. It took the servant one day to get from Bethany to where Jesus and his disciples are on the other side of the Jordan. And then Jesus waits two days, and then it's another day to walk back to Bethany. When he gets there, he's told that Lazarus has already been in the tomb how long? Four days, which means Lazarus was already dead by the time Jesus received the news of his illness. So why did Jesus wait two more days then, if not to give Lazarus time to die? Was he wanting to make sure there was no doubt that Lazarus was truly dead, not just mostly dead, but truly dead? Because Lord, by now, he's stinking. Or maybe it was because Jesus operates on God's timing and no one else's. He goes where he wants to go. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Because he's always in sync with the will of his Father in heaven, which means in this instance, for whatever reason, he waits two more days. 
And then when he finally does get to Bethany, he finds two grieving sisters who are deeply disappointed with God's timing. Martha comes out to meet him on the edge of the village. But Mary, tellingly, she stays at home. When Martha sees Jesus, she says to him, verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Oh, Lord, if only you'd been here, he'd still be alive. And then she seems to think Jesus can still do something to make the situation better. But what she's wanting, hoping for, I'm not sure because she does not expect Jesus to raise him from the dead. I know this because when Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again, she says in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She believes in a general resurrection that's coming someday in the future, but that's not what she's expecting to happen to Lazarus now. She has no hope that he'll get something more or sooner than that. He's dead. She knows it. Lord, by now he he stinketh. This leads Jesus then to explain the meaning of the sign he's about to perform. Saying in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus first claims for himself God's ability to give life and to overcome death. But then he admits still, the faithful, the righteous, they still die. Lazarus' death is evidence that Jesus' beloved friends can and still do become terminally ill. They still die, but they will rise again, Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. And then on another level, because Jesus is always speaking on more than one level in John, he says, but, but the faithful never really die. The life they experience and enjoy with God because of me, he says, transcends death. Death can't touch them. Their life is eternal. Not even death can defeat and destroy those who believe and put their trust in God's love and life revealed in Jesus. And when Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? She says she does and declares him to be the Messiah sent from God. But like so many others in John's gospel, the truth that she speaks is so much bigger and deeper and profound, more profound than she realizes. She's saying all the right things to and about Jesus. She has all the right words, but does she really grasp the implications of what she's saying? Is she ready for what's about to happen? No, because Lord, by now, 
he he stinketh. Well, after this, Martha goes back home and brings Mary to see Jesus, who's still waiting outside of town. And they're accompanied by some others who had joined them to mourn. It's a group of people that come out to see Jesus now. And Mary, when she gets to Jesus, she says exactly the same thing her sister said to him. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then continuing the story in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this section of the story is famous for containing the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the next verse, verse 35. It says simply, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And this little verse has invited massive speculation. Why does Jesus weep if he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead? Well, one possibility, some suggest, is that he's grieving the lack of faith he sees in Mary and the other mourners, but I don't buy that at all. I think instead, it's more likely that he weeps because he is overwhelmed by the grief he sees in his friends. And he weeps with those who weep. Yes, he knows what he's about to do, but the promise of resurrection the power of resurrection in Jesus does not diminish the pain, the grief, the havoc death wreaks in this world. It's still there. It always hurts. And I also don't think Jesus weeping is as some suggest, evidence of his humanity. Well, see how human Jesus is? He weeps as if his humanity and his divinity are two separate components that show up at different points in his life. See, that's his humanity there, but no, that's his divinity over there. That also assumes that it's only humanity that weeps and divinity never does. But if Jesus is God in the flesh, who's come to show us what God is really like, then when Jesus weeps, he's showing us that death breaks God's heart just like it breaks ours. I said at the beginning that this story raises some challenging questions. The most challenging question in this story is not why did Jesus wait or why did Jesus weep? The most challenging story is when Jesus asks, asks himself, after declaring that he is the resurrection and the life, he asks Martha, do you believe this? That's the challenging question. He asks it again in a different form in verse 40 after she says, yeah, but Lord, he stinketh. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe 
this? It is the question for anyone, anyone who's ever been disappointed by God's timing. It is the question for anyone who have ever had their hearts broken by a tragedy God allows. It is the question for anyone who has ever said, if only. Oh, if only. If only we'd caught the cancer sooner. If only she'd left a minute earlier or a minute later. If only I'd had a chance to say goodbye. If only Jesus had been here, he'd still be alive. In his reflections on this story, N.T. Wright notes how the question, do you believe this, challenges Martha and Mary and us to exchange our if-onlys for if-Jesus. Because if Jesus is the Christ sent from God, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then we can trust him with all of our if-onlys. Did you notice that before Jesus weeps, he asks the sisters, where have you laid him? And they say, come and see. Come and see. That phrase shows up throughout John's gospel and it always means something. Come and see. In doing so, they show us what to do with our disappointments, our heartbreaks, our losses, our grief, our if-onlys. And that is to invite Jesus to come and see the place of our pain, to come and see the source of our heartbreak, to come and see the situations and circumstances and tragedies in our lives that stinketh. And when we do this, Jesus comes and he sees and he weeps with us. But that's not the end of it. So then Jesus invites us to come and see and believe that he is the resurrection and the life. To come and see the glory of God, the power of God, the love of God, the life of God, the light of God overcoming the darkness. To come and see Jesus overcome death itself. Come and see. My friend Josh Ross tells the story of his parents walking out of the hospital just after Jenny, their 31-year-old daughter, Josh's sister, had died 19 days after going into the hospital with an illness. And as they walked through the sliding glass doors, Josh's mother said to his father, remind me again what we believe what do we believe? 
And his father said, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and if Jesus himself has been raised from the dead and is now seated alive and well at the right hand of his Father in heaven, then someday, in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, everything sad will come untrue. If Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, then someday everything sad will come untrue. And the question today, the challenging question today, is do you, do I, do we believe this? you stand for the benediction? And let's read this prayer out loud together. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Show us the glory of God by coming to us, weeping with us and calling us out of the dark. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.